It's here, the first Ghostbusters interdimensional cross-rip t-shirt, featuring front art by Dapper Dan Shonen. Wear your support for the podcast with pride. Proceeds from sales will go to keeping the lights on and not to putting beer in our stomachs. Men's and women's styles are available. Visit GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to buy yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Yeah, real sweet. What's that supposed to mean? It means that ever since they made a fortune on that baked potato opener, has been coming off to you like gangbusters, and I don't like it. Not that I've ever actually seen gangbusters. Well, I did say Ghostbusters. I didn't like that either. I mean, they couldn't give the black guy one funny line? And how about that sequel? Josie, what the hell are we just talking about? Toys.net presents the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key master? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. I think these people are completely nuts. Woo! And it was uh, opening night, uh, Terminator 2. Oh, you're kidding. And it was a lot of disappointment, oh, man. but we all filed out grumbling and got our thing to be able to come back for another screening another time. And uh, That's I th- I, the only one that I really vividly remember was uh, Last Crusade. And I was in the very front row because it was completely packed. We had stood in line to get in and it got to about the part where they're going into the the valley like they're riding the horses into the valley and they're gonna go seek out the the holy grail and yeah there's that like <laughs> and you're just seeing like the bright screen uh yeah. and everybody goes oh but you know that really quickly the dude that worked there came in and was like oh sorry everybody just give us a couple minutes we'll have it back up and running if you want to go out and grab a snack it's on us you know just super nice about stuff yeah Pre-digital, so going back about five plus years. Hell, I don't even know how digital it is. Yeah, it's probably all pretty digital now. But um, going back a few years, I can remember a few times where we started and like house lights didn't go down or the sound was really low or something. And yeah, you sit there for a couple of minutes and (laughs) then a couple of us get up and go outside to find somebody and say, is there anybody in the booth? Because yeah, the whatever, X, Y, Z. Yeah, the house lights are still up. We have missed the opening five minutes of the movie. Nobody's choked. Nobody's demanding anything. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just... Well, and the the fans that are there to see it at midnight are going to see it five six more times probably but, yeah, so like but, but no it, it's entitlement they they were banking uh, on this yeah. and actually this goes a long way to linking to the whole reaction to when they didn't like it and this goes to our movie as well which is yeah um they had something else in mind and when it wasn't what they had in mind they took personal affront to it like it was it was a crime against them personally was, i don't know Interestingly, I saw on Twitter somebody uh, watched ATC and was complaining about the frame break. Oh, they thought really? it was cheesy and distracting, and I was like, interesting. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I, and to be honest, I haven't seen many instances 
Yeah. Since it, so I don't know if it was like a small two-year flash in the pan or... Yeah, it was sort of like the faux 3D, uh, how do we do this kind of... I don't know. I mean, the only place that I've seen it done... I mean, outside of social media and stuff, but uh, the Warner Brothers logo that turns into the New Line Cinema logo, it breaks the frame so that it looks like the Warner Brothers logo flies out of the frame and then becomes the the New Line Cinema logo. Interesting. That's the only other place that I've seen that really, like, commonly done, but... I, what, I mean, well, why why complain about? I mean, the only reason to complain about that is if you're on a projector and you framed to the one eight five aspect ratio or something, or I guess it's two three five that you would be framing yeah. to. But and even then, if you framed to that, you wouldn't really notice the break because you wouldn't it's just, see it. It would just be cut off. It would be gone. It's black velvet. Yeah, uh, I don't know. In, in a little boy smile, new religion <laughs> and the, no. Did you, did you guys have that song black down there? Velvet. <laughs> If you please. Wait, who was is that uh, Melissa Etheridge? Who was that that sang that? Uh, She was in my head like the name I had it forever. She was the one that I had. I had a girlfriend that absolutely loved that album in high school, and then uh, (laughs) driving home with Maria, and I'm like, "Song is this?" And she asks, is it so-and-so? And I'm like, I think it's so-and-so. And then she sound-hounded, and it's like, it's Sass Jordan. And so that index file is now what's stuck in my head. Uh, Everything is Sass Jordan, and Sash I can't Jordan. remember the other name. Ah, oh, shoot, that's um, going to bug me. Anyway. Not Melissa Etheridge, not... It's that same, she uh, has that same sort of growly voice as Melissa Etheridge. That's kind of why I went to her. Sort of. Sass Jordan even more so. But it was that period of time where, yeah, that, that bluesy... Crossover uh, women crossing over into the top forty with their bluesy uh, rock. That was big in the early nineties, oh. late late eighties, early nineties. Alana Miles. Alana Miles. There yeah, we go. That was. I had to cheat and look. Otherwise, it's going to bug me the entire episode. <laughs> oh boy. I love the nineties. If it's not abundantly clear, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants this week. But that's not a bad thing because we have a good discussion topic to talk don't about. Don't uh, the... tell them that. They don't need to know that. Well, they'll they'll catch on. They'll You'll catch on they'll that we make on. this up every week. And... <laughs> there you, I was about to say. How are they supposed to tell this week from any other week unless you tell them? Honestly. But what are we going to talk about this week? I don't know. Virtual reality? Great. Let's go. Let's just do Dude. it. <sighs> Structure. Structure and scripting. This episode has been written by nobody. Absolutely nobody. No, it's going to be a good one. We've got... uh, So it it was a slow news week. That's why it's a little fly by the seat of our pants, because there was not a whole lot to talk about in terms of news. Also, you may hear I'm a little nasally. I got a cold. That happened. I'm always nasally. Yeah, it's... it's, We're we're just trying to... Homogenous, so that we can sort of sound similar. Uh, it's like the Jason Swank, Jimmy Mack thing on Rebel Force Radio that uh, I think Craig told me. He's like, those guys sound identical. I was like, no, they, yeah, I guess they kind of do. Yeah, they kind of do. But that's uh, a real, pro- that's a real problem with certain podcasts. They sound similar. Well, they're both dudes from one's from Ohio, one's from Chicago, so they both have that sort of midwestern yeah. that that same yeah. accent, that same gruff. Like I picture them sitting there smoking their stogies while they're recording the, the episodes. But I have a I have a bit of a problem, and I I can't fault them because it's by design. But uh, anytime the Sklar brothers are on a uh, a podcast or <laughs> when I listen to their them. their dumb people tell me, yeah they sound identical so it's a weird mental game trying to parse <laughs> the lines it's like that trick where you take an english sentence and then you take out the the spaces 
You know what I mean? It takes a little extra work, and you but have our brain to is decipher our, it. Yeah, our brain is trained to like kind of parse out the words, even when the space is there. It just takes a little extra work. Same with when those two talk. It's like there's no space between one and the other, so your brain just has to work a little harder <laughs> to parse what's one sentence and what's another guy's sentence, and then it kind of then it kind of works out. I I feel for Chris Hardwick on the At Midnight Show when it was on when he would have both Sklar brothers on and he would have to refer to them by first name, but <laughs> but their their Twitter handles were up there and they both said Sklar brothers, so you know you gotta you gotta know that Randy is yeah. this one and you know they gotta figure that out, but. Anywho, uh, all right, well, let's get into Ghostbusters chat. Yes, last week we spent a little time talking about personal stuff, and that's fine. That's why we do this podcast. It's Chris and I. This is our poker night. We like to talk to each other. We catch up. Uh, I like to hear what he's working on, vice versa. Uh, So that happens. People that have been listening since day one, they know this. So if you're complaining about you guys spent 10 minutes talking about the weather, Guys, that's what we do. I'm sorry. That's just that's just how it goes. Does this but, happen? Does people complain? Or are you just you, you seem a little uh, preoccupied I, with this? I got one hypo, guy. One this guy. hypothetical dude. I named the episode "The Demise of Real Ghostbusters" because that's what eventually we ended up talking about. And I got to name the episode something. Yeah. Uh, and he was upset that that was not what the entire episode was about. Now, granted, this is this is a squeaky wheel that he's probably listening to this and he's <laughs> delighting in the fact that I'm preoccupied by it, but. Well, uh, it's his own fault for not reading the blurb you also write up, which also breaks down the other topics that are also there true. Well, so. Also true. But, and by uh, now, it's a given that you and I are going to waste 10, 20 minutes at the beginning just <laughs> talking Singing nonsense. Black Velvet, basically. <laughs> yeah, but it's like forcing engineers to take, you know, like a, a philosophy course or something like that. Yeah, we have a, a Ghostbusters podcast, but come on. We all benefit when you and I talk about <laughs> random stuff. It all yeah. it all strengthens our enjoyment of Ghostbusters. Like I said, to, be, yeah. They're stronger episodes. I feel like they're stronger episodes. Stop when they're that. Less we haven't even finished this one. This could be the strongest one we ever have, uh, and right. you have no Fine. idea. Fine. All right. Oh, well. I'm so disappointed in you right now. <laughs> Breaking that fourth wall. <laughs> hey, guys. Peter. I have some news from the world of Gozer. I got some pretty cool stuff cooking up over here if you want to turn your head. Multiplanar curly and emanation. Now, well, here's your next month's cover of GQ. Check out the aura on this sucker. Okay, all right, structure. Here we go. We're going to start with some news. We're going to do a couple of news items because there are some some, some really, uh, like, Violet Ramis Steele's book is one of those that I've been looking forward to since she decided to write it. I think it was inspired by, you know, she did that Ghostbusters Daughter song that uh, she and her brother uh, did the YouTube video for. It was really wonderful uh, about that just after he had died. And I think she realized the outpouring of love for her father and all of the people that wanted to know him on a more personal level. And, and she took that initiative to start writing a book, um, yeah. which we will uh, benefit from uh, this coming, is it June? When does it come out? Yes. June, according June. to Amazon. Good summer read is, is on pre-orders now. Yeah. It's, it's up, it's up for pre-order, which prompted an article with EW, which I guess officially kicks off the, uh, the pre-release marketing campaign. Yeah, and it seems like she, you know, we're we're going to try to get her on the show too so that we can talk to her about her her experiences being a Ghostbusters daughter and uh I, I feel like she's she's such a, a sweet person and uh that's, you can, that's my favorite Sissy SpaceX movie. A Ghostbusters daughter. Ghostbusters daughter. <laughs> 
Oh man, we just saw Sissy Spacek's daughter literally in something. What was that? And I was like, she looks like somebody, and it was Sissy Spacek. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, she's in um, a Disaster Artist. I think it's Disaster Artist. Oh, that she's really? In. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, right. this trivia brought to you by Troy's brain. That's probably incorrect, but. Uh, so yeah, so anyway, so Violet has written this book that is coming out in June. Uh, EW had an interview with her to sort of kick things off and uh, go go check it out because she does talk about how she and Harold had planned to do a book on parenting, which I think would have been amazing and I wish yeah. that I had it right now. That's one of those things where I'm like, oh, <laughs> Harold, why did you have to go and die, man? Like that would have been so awesome. Yeah, like funny, witty like I find myself, I, 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 well, I was about to say I don't think it's inspired by Harold Ramis, but the fact of the matter is, is, since a large chunk of my humor was formed by the movie that we come here to celebrate on a weekly basis, then yes, technically it is inspired by Harold Ramis. Dry wit goes a long yeah. ways when you're dealing with children. Oh my God. <laughs> it, you, it, it, you need it. You need that dry yeah. wit. When they're vomiting and pooping on you simultaneously, you have to be like, ah, well, somebody's having a party tonight. <laughs> It's excellent stress relief. It's also an amazing way to uh, cut the tension for yourself and maybe if you're out in public with people around you. But since dry wit doesn't register as wit with children, <laughs> they think – they still feel you're being very serious with them, yeah. which is important to kids. They don't want to feel like when they're having – you know, when they're feeling stressed and tired or – frustrated and unable to, you know, communicate and all that. They, they really just want to be heard. And the last thing they want is to be laughed at. <laughs> so dry wit. Oh my God. The number of times uh, it saved my life. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I've catch myself inadvertently saying things to my baby that Peter Vankman says to Oscar, like, <laughs> look at you, your little coconut, this little guy's ripe. Uh, it just happens. It just, because that's what we've ingrained in our brains. Yeah. And so, uh, and he was so well. I mean, a very Zen, uh, literally Zen fellow. Yes, um, yes. That yeah, it would have been interesting to hear his thoughts on you know connecting with a, a kid. Little kids are just tiny balls of chaos and 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 you know barely structured madness and and you know emotions to the max, whatever the emotion is <laughs> yeah. and all that. And you're supposed to help guide them, and it can be hard. I would have loved. To hear his thoughts yeah. on, on, on that sort of thing. For, oh, for such a calm, laid back guy. And and to hear her play off of it too, you know, having experienced his parenting, uh and 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 she has talked very candidly in the past about how, you know, her father of uh, he he was a comedian. You know, comedians they he would go out and he would party and uh he would perform and he'd be out on tour and he'd be working on a movie and so he was he was constantly gone, but um, you know, it how he parented, I'm sure, really affected her. And then in turn, she now has her kids and she's parenting yeah. them. So I would have loved that. I mean, especially just even even hearing Harold, a, uh, a, a Buddhist Jew, I think at one point he called himself. Uh, <laughs> but hearing his take on philosophy and spiritualism and all of that, I've always wanted to, like, if I could have picked his brain on on life itself uh that would have been amazing too so so i guess uh, we're gonna get the next best thing is what i'm uh, saying here buddhist jew so yeah. i guess that would would be om ve, ve or something <laughs> om ve. Om om ve. Ve. <laughs> uh i hope that some of that the book she was planning with her dad actually makes it into this one like just in just by dint of her talking 
about, you know, growing up and being raised by her dad when he was around and stuff like that, some of that may come through. So I yeah, don't know. You'll, we'll get a, we'll get a good sort of parenthood take, uh, on how she experienced life at least, yeah. uh, being, being a Ghostbusters daughter. That's, that's what she is saying to people is that this book is, it's not a biography about him. This is my experiences, uh, as him being my primary parent in life, you know, how, he dealt with me on all of the experiences that I have through life and, uh, you know, and, and dealing with my dad being a celebrity and all of my friends knowing him and that kind of thing. Uh, but, and what I really sparked to in this, this EW, uh, interview, she talks about that her mother, um, uh, Erica, right. Is that, I believe that was, oh shoot. Uh, I, I think so. I'll back you up in, 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 I'll back you up as correct, or I'll go down with the infailure. Uh, oh, I feel terrible because I've actually I've met her. <laughs> I, I think I think her her mom's sure. name is Erica, but uh, is a hoarder and kept every every fan letter, every photo, everything that was sent to Harold, she kept, and then every uh, letter that that Harold sent or had written to uh, Violet, she kept, and so she's got all of this great correspondence to and from her father, from fans, and to and from her father, from herself, and. Uh, and photos. It sounds like it's going to be packed with all of these photos that we've never seen before, which I, I went crazy when I saw that wonderful photo of her with Harold on the Ghostbusters set. And she's kind of hugging her dad's leg and he's wearing the jumpsuit. Yeah. You know, that's that speaks worlds for uh, who this man was and, and how he was as a father. So uh, <sighs> can't wait, man. I'm, I'm excited can't, for this one. Yeah. I was disappointed because when the article came out, I went, oh, the book is out. And I mean, <laughs> without reading the article, I immediately went to Amazon to get it. I was like, oh, I have to wait till June. Wait, I, yeah, it was, it was disappointment, but then it was also sort of sheer panic because I really wanted to help uh, Violet get the word out about this book. So I was going to feel terrible if we had no idea that it was coming out, it was out uh, already, this soon. Yeah. And well, we got lots so, of time. I'm glad we've got time to help her. So go it's pre-order a, it. and Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a hefty tome too. It's 30 bucks Canadian on, pre, oh, on is it pre-order. Really? That um, suggests wow. a, a not small book. Hardcover too. Let me double Hardcover. check. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm down. Sixteen ninety nine uh, on Kindle. Sixteen ninety nine Canadian and thirty and change Canadian for the hardcover. Yeah, you want that hardcover? You got this. Is one oh, of yeah. those books like I have. Absolutely I have Ackroyd's History of Ghosts. You you have to have this in hardcover, and you got to go get Violet to sign it, and yeah. Uh, it's interesting because when she said she was going to write this book and I was kind of wrestling, like I was not wrestling, I didn't have a problem with it, but I was just trying to wrap my head around this concept of, you know, her as a daughter suddenly representing her dad because he wasn't here to, to, you know, right, right. to, to be present, uh, you know, around the new movie and stuff like that. And then it occurred to me, actually, the, the, there's tons of precedents for this. All the, uh, the... The Universal Monster stars, they're long gone. Sure, long, yeah. Long gone. But their senior citizen children themselves, they're the ones that put in appearances at, you know, the the horror conventions and stuff yeah. like that, right? You know, they they are this, you know, they they act in instead of their parents, which is again a weird phenomena that not only does your fame and your pop culture accomplishment outlive you, it outlives you to the point that the demand is still there, that they wish you could be around sure. and you're not. So they will happily accept your, like there are people paying for the signatures of um, Vincent Price's daughter. I think it's Vincent Price's daughter. 
Yeah, or Bella Be- Lugosi's daughter. Uh... Bella Lugosi's, uh, actually, maybe they all had daughters because um, Boris Karloff also has a daughter, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and people, because, you know, there are fans of this. So it, it, it's interesting for me to think that there are kids now, five, six, up to 10 or whatever, that are just kind of discovering the old movie and the new movie one way or the other, the cartoons who will grow up to be fans like we are and not to get too maudlin about it, but you know, our, our heroes are, 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 are slowly but surely passing away sort of thing. They will reach an age where they wish they could have met, you know, um, uh, like just like we wish we could have met Harold Ramis, yeah. uh, they wish they could meet any of them. So you know, having having Ramis's daughter there, or um, any of Aykroyd's kids, or uh, Homer Murray, I don't know. I'd pay twenty bucks to <laughs> shake Homer Murray's yeah. hand. Tell us about your dad, man. I bet you've got yeah. a bunch of stories. Yeah, I mean, and, and we've also, I mean, maybe it's the social internet or social media age, but there's this interesting phenomenon of. When something comes out, there's always somebody who likes to speak on behalf of someone who has passed on. So I remember when when Answer the Call came out, there were all the people that said, well, Harold is rolling over in his grave. Uh, you know, yes. that, that phenomenon. But you 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 have their kids so, right there so, to speak so on their offensive. behalf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what really let me down is not only were they offensive enough to claim that Harold Ramis wouldn't like something. Even though prior to this movie being announced and all that, he, you know, had sung praises of all sorts of young comedy actors, male and female and all that, would not have had a problem with this, I'm certain. Not only did they do that, which I find kind of repugnant, because the dead the dead can't defend themselves. So, right, yeah. Uh, how, how, how dare you decide that they you get to speak on their behalf? But it went one further that in a few cases um, – yeah, when uh, Ramus Steele, uh, when she spoke up that her dad would like it, they all went, yeah, well, you know, she has to support the movie. She's got a stake <laughs> in it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you know, what is uh, truth? Then? Do you know what I mean? If you're going to be yeah. that bloody cynical about it. But then again, those people don't care because the truth is in their head. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and how many times have the estates of uh, prominent people come out and said, we disown this. We have no, st-, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, the the Kubrick estate, that always comes to mind. They're like, we had no vested interest in this and we don't acknowledge this whatsoever. It doesn't exist. But uh, so anyway, so uh, Ghostbusters yep. Daughter, pre-order it. Uh, you are correct. June, it's 384 pages. So you're right. It's a hefty tome. Uh, so well worth your, it's $28 as of right now on uh, Amazon. My name is Ivan Shablowski and I'm a participant in the biggest podcast since 1909. You are a most fortunate individual. My name is Luna X Mars and I'm a participant in the biggest podcast since 1909. Boy, the superintendent's going to be pissed. My name is James, and I've participated in the biggest podcast since 1990. 1909. 1909. Awesome. All right, let's talk about. Uh, well, there's a lot of, of cool sort of franchise news out there. Uh, kind of tough to talk about here on the show, but a uh, great photo of Danny Trejo made an honorary <laughs> Ghostbuster. Uh, we got a lot of teams that are out there doing some great uh, charity gotta- work. He's got a work shirt, uh, jumpsuit style work shirt. 
Um, he's, what, he's rocking the wood. Machete don't bust. What machete would be don't the, bust. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, what would I be no the equivalent idea. there? Uh, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so so uh, big shout out to all of our franchise uh, friends out there that are yeah. listening, oh, and and everybody. Oklahoma, who, Oklahoma, yes. Oklahoma participated in a Make a Wish deal, and oh, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. I loved it. Thank you. Um, we'll just we'll just talk in cryptic references here. Yes, for a while. yeah. Don't worry about uh, it, guys. I I don't I had the printout. I don't have it. But the young man um, uh, who uh, his make a wish. I love it because it's like make a wish, meet a star, make a wish, go to Disneyland, make a wish. This one, make a wish. He wanted a Ghostbusters go kart. <laughs> All right, and, man. And they they got it for him, and then that's what the Oklahoma GBs were there for. They 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 showed up. Man, kind of like um, uh, it wasn't Make a Wish. It's a similar type thing here. But uh, last November, when not this past November, but the November before, when Ghostbusters British Columbia took out uh, some movie props to a young fan and all that. So yeah, you know it's a it's a, it might be a good point uh, before we continue on. If you're if you're down with that sort of thing, if your crew's down with that sort of thing. You know, maybe instead of them, you know, frantically scrambling, trying to find you, maybe just reach out to to them and let them know, hey, Ghostbusters here. Let us know if you need any help with anything. Yeah, let us know. I, yeah. Inevitably, it seems like a couple times a year, um, Make-A-Wish and other groups are, I get a couple emails every year from people going, I'm trying to, f- I'm doing a such and such that I'm trying to find Ghostbusters. And I'm like, have you tried talking to this group? You know, that's so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to start billing the franchises. I'm t- I've turned into the the mysterious uh, dispatcher. Yeah, for the, you're like uh, their PR. Uh, <laughs> I I feel the same way for the Southland guys because I'll get uh, all the time. Like, do you know somebody who has a car and could show up in costume? And yep, I got you. Don't say no more. Here you go. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so yeah, so shout out to those guys uh, and please let us know so we can, uh, help boost the signal on, on things that you're, things that you're doing, things that you're raising funds for. Uh, and, and we really appreciate, you know, uh, when we reach out to you guys and we say, Hey, we're going to put together this loot crate for charity. Uh, the response from everybody was overwhelming. We had several people that said, what, what yeah. can I contribute? I've got patches, I've got toys, I've got whatever you need. So, um, yeah, you uh, really just like. I love the fact that despite the, we we talk about all of the negative stuff here on the podcast and we know that the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, but there are so many of you guys out there that uh, are just genuinely cool people and really doing, uh, you know, doing your best to just kind of make somebody's day brighter. And that's, that's always really nice to see. So uh, good, good on you guys. uh, It's turning this loot crate into the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, what do you call them? Like uh, Buster and Dave's, any place that spits out tickets. Yeah, you yes. know what I mean, like, yeah. that type place. There's always that one machine where it, um, it's got the coin drop. Do you know the one I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's got that edge, precarious edge of coin sort of thing. Where you're just waiting that's, for stuff to drop down. That's yeah. that's what this is feeling like. Like as we talk about it, and I think we probably will each week between now and when we uh, start letting people bid on it. That's what it's going to turn into. People are going to be like happy to bid because that thing may tip over like you know they're not bidding on one or two items they're not bidding a, this is it's just getting bigger all the time yeah it's just yeah. they're just then they want to be at the top of the heap when the the thing 
the Austin ends <laughs> and the coins <laughs> spill down into your plastic bucket. And you get the one card that you've needed to complete the set so that you get your 2,000 <laughs> tickets. I know it well. <laughs> I don't have a problem. I can quit whenever I want. Uh, well, let's talk about some some fans that are also doing uh, a whole bunch of uh, creative things out there. Uh, we've talked about the patches and pins phenomenon that has been happening. Uh, it's it's has not been a new thing because patch trading and... and uh, challenge coins and things like that we've we've talked about and and even yeah. up until like the answer the call premiere i got a bunch of great patches and challenge coins from people um but uh but there's there's been a couple of groups that have started standing out to me like proton pins and uh ectocrank and ectocrank. um and and just people that are really creating these really colorful really creative uh patches pins uh, like uh, Ectocrank has a Valentine's Day one now where it's like a heart-shaped no-ghost logo. Yeah. Um, just really cool stuff. But he also, uh, Ectocrank, I, don't, I'm, I feel terrible. I don't know his real name. I'm just going to keep calling him Ectocrank. It's going to be like 1990 AOL. I'm just going to call you by your screen name. That's not his name? I, I, maybe. Ectocrank? Poor, poor kid. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but he, he did a mashup uh, in, in tribute to, he was really inspired by the uh, TMNT Ghostbusters sequel uh, crossover that just happened, and he was really inspired by it. So he did a Ninja Busters track uh, that it's it's a lot of fun. I think you called it heist heist music heist jams. What was your? <laughs> I listened to it. Um, oh, I'm oh, how do I put this? I'm a Turtles fan in that I collected the the initial black and white comics. And I, I collect, I, I'm staring at them now. I have the entire run of the, uh, the role-playing game. Ooh. The, when it tipped over into the cartoons, wasn't really my scene. It was kind of like, I'm same with He-Man, right? Like there's, there's a, there's this couple of eras of toys that I was already kind of, uh, getting a little too old for sort of thing. And, and Turtles is, um, I shouldn't say that when they did the movies, I was pretty into Technotronic, but, uh. But the cartoons, not so much. Um, and no, no Technotronic love. <laughs> like was, you've gone dead I was silent. You, I was I like, you feel, hang on Technotronic. <laughs> technotronic. Baby, let me show you how to uh, move techno, it. Uh, yeah, Kid K, I believe, it. is also on that uh, soundtrack. Doing yeah. fine. Ain't nothing to it. Shake your body for people. Don't you know? Don't you know? It's up a time. Never mind. Anyways. Um, well, and the, the, that's what this track really reminds me of. I mean, it's it's the movie yeah. theme song. So that's why, you know. Exactly. And it, uh, no, but what it, it is so 80s. Like Ghostbusters is kind of 80s in its own way, but it's it's kind of a, an outlier. Whereas the Turtles one was very of the time. And immediately what it brought to mind was, uh, uh, was it Benjamin Bratt from Despicable Me 3? I have a toddler. I've mentioned this. So I've seen all the Despicable <laughs> Me's several times. Nice. But but uh, is it Matt Parker? Ma- I think it's uh, Matt Parker does the way. Does he? Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, it's uh, Matt. No, it's Trey, it's Trey Parker. It's Trey, Trey Parker. Parker. You're, Matt, you're combining the two of them. Uh, I've conflated them. That's fine. That's <laughs> pr- pretty much how it is anyways. But yeah, he's got that one line because he's uh, – was a child star in the eighties and, and has not dropped that little bit of, of, of flair. And yeah, he's got that, that one heist music and presses the button. And that's what this song heist music. It's very, <laughs> very of that. soulless, roboticized Casio 
dance floor affair <laughs> with a little bit with Ray Parker every once in a while. In yeah, there. just a little a little hint. It's more turtles and, and less Ghostbusters. But so here's what we'll do. We'll play a little bit of it for you guys. We won't play the whole track. Go check out Ecto Crank's uh, Instagram page and, and uh, Twitter to hear the whole thing. But uh, we'll we'll play it as a segue into our uh, our next discussion topic, if you will. So here's here's Ecto Crank's Turtle Bust or Ninja Busters. I'm sorry. Ghostbusters. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. The girls. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I hear he likes the girls. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, if there's something weird, then it don't look good. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Pretty, uh, pretty awesome stuff. Ecto Cranks Ninja Busters. That's what you guys spin just were listening wheel. to. Yo, DJ. Spin that wheel. Yo, DJ. Spin that wheel. 9.95. That was the one that I was like, at the very end of the original Turtles movie, that's what they play. And I was really into that song. And now looking back on it, it's not a good song. It's not a, it's not a strong <laughs> song. But, uh, I have uh, Yeah, that was a very strange time, especially since... They still felt like the markets were separate. The music markets were separate. So I remember at that time, um, Technotronic stuff got recycled. Like, so we would have some Technotronic here, but it would be some other group covering the same song Uh, in the UK. Sampling the, yeah. Uh, Almost immediately because they just didn't, you know. um, uh, Oh, heck, who's it? Uh. The power by um, oh uh, the the Super Mario Brothers song uh, shoot who did that I've got the it's power getting, by it's getting it's getting, oh. getting, getting, getting kind of hectic it's getting it's getting, it's getting. Uh, same thing those got um, got reused a little bit there was an Adamski track that featured uh, like a pre seal seal in the UK. Crazy. It was a, a like a, a a remix of Crazy that was released. So they got the dance Crazy by Adamski in the UK. We got Seal just doing Crazy here. Yeah. It's a weird time. You're Very never going to survive unless you get a little crazy. That's uh, this is our mu- This is our '90s music episode. It's becoming abundantly clear that that's <laughs> that's the direction that we're heading in here. I almost won't. I'm 85 percent sure that the. The guy singing on the power was, uh, is it Shock G or is he from the Digital Underground? Damn! I don't know. I don't have enough copy in me. I don't, I don't remember. And I've lost my, my Google device temporarily. (laughs) Well, Uh, let's be, let's be fair here. You, you would have been slightly on the younger side then too. Um. Oh, well, I've got the power. That was like 91, 92, wasn't it? Oh, no. Was before then? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Power song. See, we'll figure this out here. All right. Well, you, yeah. If you want to look that up, I'm going to get our snap. That was it. I snap. Got the power. I was going to say getting, stereophonic, getting, but that's completely incorrect. It's getting, it's getting. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. Dancer. Because <laughs> uh, I searched for it and it came up and then Google did its thing. People also searched for Rhythm is a Dancer by Snap. Oh, that was a good see, one. There you go. Doot, doot, doot. 
Oops, that was their other one. Never got a lot of play, but I love that one. Oops, up, side your head. I said, Pump Up the Jam, Technotronic, Cult of Snap. Oh, yeah. There's some. There's some good stuff in here. Oh, believe the hype. Oh, don't believe the hype. Don't no, because the they had this one and he actually references it. He's like, don't believe the hype is a sequel. <laughs> this one goes, don't believe the hype. <laughs> don't believe the hype is a sequel. Uh, don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Well, let's leave Chris alone with his 90s music and uh, we'll and keep talking terrible. about it's terrible. Like, oh, like, oh, yeah, what is love? Hadaway. I hate that. I should buy that, shouldn't I? Yeah, I should, I should, buy, I should have that song. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't. All right, let's talk Ghostbusters. We can keep do. We can do this. Uh, uh, do we have to? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, we have a discussion topic this week. This is uh, kind of floating things uh, with each other, trying to figure out how we were going to deal with the slower news weeks. We've decided to come up with some some topics of discussion. Yeah, and we never talk anymore. We ne- we never talk anymore. We never talk anymore. We only just spout the news, and uh, so. So this came about because uh, there was a, a, a top 10 uh, underrated list that was going around, uh, you know, the most underrated uh, uh, football player of all time, uh, most underrated uh, song from the <laughs> 90s, which Chris just went through. Uh, you take a power puncher like Chuck Webber. <laughs> Uh, deep Anyways. cut, deep cut, <laughs> deep cut, very deep. Uh, cut. But so we thought it would be interesting to talk about the most underrated aspect of Ghostbusters, be it. Uh, something like the uh, the score, the Elmer Bernstein score, or the costume design by Theoni Aldridge, or yep. uh, or even Extreme Ghostbusters, which we've talked about uh, as we're both fans of, and it's it's sort of an yep. underappreciated. Uh, a lot of people don't know existed. If you're outside of the fan community, they're like, there was a Extreme Ghostbusters, and it featured yeah. kids in college, and what? It's doing better because uh, it's on Hulu, but. Um not much. Yeah, get, getting Looking a at you, exposure. Sony. Yeah. Put that out for 20, that, 2019. God, if on. only. I mean, Come and on. all of the voice talents on it. Anyway, we talk about that almost every episode. So <laughs> uh, so what I thought would be fun is, is Chris, you and I could talk about the things that we feel are underappreciated about Ghostbusters. Uh, okay. Things that, you know, we have always talked about how uh, wish fulfillment and, and anybody can be a Ghostbuster. You can be almost superhero because of the technology. All of those things. I would say that those are the appreciated aspects of Ghostbusters, but what would you say are some of the underappreciated aspects of, of the movie or the franchise in general? Do you, do you have anything off the top of your head? Yeah. I, I was thinking about this. I got one right off the bat. Yeah. What do and you I, got? And I think it's so underrated. It's, it, most people mistake it as a given, which is a good sign of a, an underrated because it means people just kind of take it for granted. Take sure. it for granted yeah. means you're not giving it to do. The fire hall. Oh, that's How true. Many, how many movies can you think of that have turned a building into an icon? Not many. I mean, in the Turtles vibe that we've been in, you know, a, a sewer or a subway, but not something specifically. Or um, the Psycho yeah, House. The Psycho uh, House, I was about to say, is a good example. But, um, the and there's a lot of references. From Back to the Future, but these are, they're fictitious. It's not a real place. Like It's, it's not, not a, a real place. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even then, if you go with the real place, again, there's not many, uh, sort of the the Doc Brown's house in Back to the Future. Yeah, I would say Sort yeah, of, if you of know those, where it's at. Like the, but, the Twin Pines Mall uh, slash Punta yeah. Hills Mall. Uh, but, but these things, again, 
I don't, there's something about the, the role of the fire hall with the guys that elevates it within the movie and thus within people's consciousness. Whereas Doc Brown's house for a lot of people is just Doc Brown's house. If you're a fan, you're interested, but if you ask people, can you remember it? They don't have a mental image the same way they do with the fire hall. And then on top of that, most of these places, if they are real, are out of the way. Whereas the fire hall is smack dab downtown New York, right, like in yeah. Manhattan, right? Right there in Tribeca, yeah. It is It is a It is a mobbed daily by tourists attraction. So much so that when, the, you remember when they tried to do some cost cutting and the world went, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I think we may decommission it and tear it down. What the hell it's are you talking icon. about? It's an icon. It is historical. <laughs> like it's it, interestingly enough, out of... Because there's a lot of let's put it this way. So if you think of that shot in uh, by Columbus Circle where we see Stay Puff at his full height step uh-huh. out for the first time, there was the textile museum there. That building's yeah. gone. That's I was gonna say that's not there anymore. Yeah. And it was it's it was in its own weird way an iconic little piece of New York architecture. And nope, God. gone. And so when you think about it, there's I think the fire hall has a good chance. On top of some of the more stone, like the library, uh, the museum that they used in Ghostbusters to the the customs house, yeah. uh, city hall, things that they have a, a like a, a a real rock solid lock in New York history, whereas other ones are a little bit more recent, are a little bit more, you know. So uh, uh, what's his name? Was it Gary that uh, Frank Gary that did that one museum? Yeah, the it's in, it's in Men in Black, whatever. Yeah, that uh, or the Guggenheim. Yeah, the Guggenheim yeah. is the one It'll, that looks like that cone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll stick around forever. They won't let that one go. But it, it's it's. It, I think the fire hall is now fairly, almost safely protected. I mean, I conceivably see the property values getting to the point where maybe that'll go. Although I can also see it maybe getting to the point where they do that thing where they tear down the no-name buildings next to it and design a building to go up there and they will literally construct around the fire hall. Do you know what I mean? I think they to, have to. I think it's a historical landmark now. That's how it, they protected it the last exact, time around. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. It, it'd be like them saying, well, we're going to tear down the Empire State Building or <laughs> it falls into this category of building now where they will bend over backwards to do and they're doing it remember they were going to decommission and tear down and once it got protected they kicked the guys out temporarily and they are now retrofitting that. that's why people for the last two years have sadly yeah. been putting really glum pictures of behind a, facades uh, and the, scaffolds yeah the, yeah the scaffold and the, the, the fabric catch and all that they, they, they're like oh can't see it <laughs> they are basically retrofitting that thing to give it another hundred years. Yeah. Oh, I, when they you, have when, to. When you gut the, uh, the, the, the basement so it can accommodate the heavier trucks and do the entire wire and plumbing system, you're, this building's hanging on for yeah. another hundred years. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, that, that's, that's my opening, my opening salvo. I think the, the fire hall is underrated. I know we love it. I know we all think about it. I know, and this kind of backs up my my argument. It's popular enough that they they put it out in Lego. They put it out in right. um, Playmobil again. Like, did they put the Avengers uh, headquarters out in Lego? Nope. You know, like they, uh, Doc Brown's house is definitely not a Playmobil set right now. Yeah, it's just it's just it's. I think it's underrated that this this 
it's weird. It's almost, it's, well, again, another, it's much the same way that people love uh, seeing the cleaners with the backpack uh, vacuums and all that. They see it and go, Ghostbusters. Uh, if you anybody sees any red brick building of that approximate style from like the turn of the, you know, the, yeah. the 1900s to the 2000s or the 1800s to the 1900s, because I think it was built in 19... 19- 18 or something like that or 1912 I think that sounds right because the fire hall 23 here was built in 1918 or it was the same year I think it was 1912 something like that if anybody sees anything remotely like that they go Ghostbusters fire hall we have we have a uh, a brick uh, fire hall downtown here Uh, it's got two bays it's a much wider and not as tall building but again it was constructed in red brick with the arched Right. Openings to yeah. the bays, which is was just a common brickwork design of of that time, and people go, ha ha, Ghostbusters! <laughs> like it's yeah. so. I don't think people give it enough enough credit that uh, I think it's I think it's underrated. The fire hall. Yeah, and I mean, you could make an argument that New York City as a character in the movie might be underrated too, because you were mentioning just just in that conversation just then, you mentioned. Columbus Circle, uh, Central Park, Tavern on the Green, on the 55 Green. Central Park West. Yep. Uh, I mean, at, to the point where there is a building Broadway. in Oakland. Yep, uh, Broadway. You've got all of the Lincoln, uh, uh, Was- uh, the Washington Park uh, uh, Arch. Yep. Um, City Hall. So um, it's all of these iconic, and, and Men in Black tried to replicate that. You've got the Bridge and Tunnel Authority uh, standing in as the Men in Black headquarters because they're like, well, Ghostbusters used the firehouse. What are we supposed to do? I don't know. Use yeah. the Bridge and Tunnel building? I, what do we What do we got left? But again, to my point, that was super cool. And Men in Black, a huge hit. Like yeah. it, 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 it knocked its own, uh, you know, uh, out of the park on that one. The, the Bridge and Tunnel... Uh, not regarded the same way in people's pop culture consciousness as the fire hall. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So that's that's a good one. The fire hall. I would say that we. You're right. We take it for granted that the fire hall is something that we buy collectibles of, and we all dreamed of having the Kenner version as kids. And uh, but, yep. you know, when you when you talk about Ghostbusters, that's not necessarily the first thing that you mention either. Yeah, I'd say that's underrated. I would. I would. I'll accept it. Thank I would you. say that will work. And a lot of the movie takes place around it. Like I haven't done a, a, a count, but at least half that movie is in and around the fire hall. Yeah. And triggers the third act. Like the fire yep. hall is the catalyst that gets you into the end of the movie. So yep. uh, a very that, important that, piece. It's it's the catalyst of the third act. It's also the start of the second act when they go into business. Right. Like it's, right. God, it's, that's how they, they make their turns in the, that's so funny. The story structure yeah. revolves around the firehouse. Around, that's. I, I know. I'm going to write an essay right now. (laughs) I'm a genius. The importance of the Ghostbusters fire hall. (laughs) I'm going to go back to university just so I can take a film studies course (laughs) and write a paper and get an A+. The symbolism Uh. of the arch represents... uh, (laughs) What do you got? I I would agree. I would say, so uh, the one thing that I had come up with was I feel like a lot of the the B character actors, the people that show up in, you know, like the Michael Ensigns and uh, that, that sort of group in the first movie, I feel like they are completely and sorely underrated. I feel like the, one of the biggest complaints about answer the call was that all of the people that were in 
the the movie were going for the joke. So you've got Zach Woods showing up and he immediately is going for the joke. You've got Ed Begley Jr. showing up and he's he's goofy and he's going for the joke. Uh, the, the original film had so many wonderful day playing actors. These people like your Reginald Vell Johnson's who showed up yep. for whatever their $800 SAG scale day. Uh, but Danny but, stone. Yes. Danny stone, but, but, but played such an important part of what this movie became. I mean, I I'm with you. I'm totally on board with this. I'll, I'm gonna let you finish. Sorry, I pulled uh, Kanye on you, but it. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to let you finish, and then I'll make my point. Sorry, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, so so I, I'm immediately thinking of the first thing that you see right out of the gate: uh, the librarian, uh, Alice yep. Drummond. She opens Huge, the movie. Hugely important uh, to bring the audience into this movie, to ground them into what they're about to see, uh, to to ride that very fine line between comedy and horror. Uh, it, it was, it fell on her shoulders and, and she plays it with such sincerity and such honesty. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that nobody knows Alice Drummond, she's not a a household name. Uh, it's not, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a cameo where you'd be like, Oh, we're going to have a librarian. We should have, um, Maya Rudolph play the library, you know, like the bringing yeah. in somebody that you recognize and go like, Oh, that's Maya Rudolph playing the librarian. No, this was, this fell on a very hardworking actor, Alice Drummond to do. Uh, and then same thing right after that, what do you get? You get Bill Murray, but with two actors and in, in the form of, you know, two co-eds that don't even get names in the credits. Uh, so like, yeah. Uh, the fact that you have, all of these these strong day players throughout the movie it, it just speaks worlds for what what uh, what ghostbusters like as a whole it's you know we always talk about it being lightning in a bottle and you've got those four guys you've got the concept uh, you've got all of the gear and all of the things that are iconic and and that we know and that we love but i think if we're talking about things that we take for granted or may, might be a little underrated i think it's those people that are just peppered throughout the film yeah, you use the word grounded when about Alice Drummond bringing people into the movie, and I think that applies to all of them because in they play everything straight. Uh, everybody did. I mean, the, the the comedy comes out of the fact yeah. that everybody takes it at, at you know completely straight, but the the extras even more so because of course they were never allowed to go off script. They're not Bill Murray. <laughs> they don't get to goof around any of that stuff. They gotta they gotta they gotta read it you know, dry and, and solid. And as a testament to, you know, I guess a bit to the writing, um, but I think it's more to them that the way they delivered them, think of how many lines are not terribly funny lines, but are funny to us and, and are regarded as some of the, you know, the quotables, right? Yeah. Like, um, well, cause they're delivered so earnestly, like David Margulies as the mayor, like all of or, his lines. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, the, uh, when Danny Stone came to mind, uh, he's, he's only got two lines, but the one, <laughs> what an asshole like that. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's one of the, 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 the quotes that, you know, anybody who quotes Ghostbusters, that's, that's in your, that's yeah. in your holster there. Oh, absolutely. Um, Reginald Vell Johnson's got his uh, his uh, uh, his one line. You know, uh, the whole island's going crazy. Like again, perfect. It's just that should have been a dry. Like we 
didn't give a crap. We didn't even need to see him. But man, he he had his five seconds on screen and sure. his one line and perfect. Sells it. Uh, sells it. I I and I'm, I I am I feel terrible because I don't know her name. I should know her name. But uh, the maid in the Sedgwick Hotel with the what right. the hell are you doing? <laughs> although although to be fair, in that case. That's because she was scared shitless. But well, that uh, that was that was sincere <laughs> because that was that was actually you know the pyro guys uh, scaring the crap out of uh, her, right? But, uh, G- uh, Jeannie Kasem. Yeah. Uh, weirdly enough, she's the closest of all the the you know the extras and bit parts. You know, she's arguably the closest to a caricature, really. Sure. Yeah. I but, mean, she's she's not, sort of the like bunny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but not not enough that I would say she's absolutely hamming it up as that. Right. She just just kind of I don't know. And that and frankly, that party scene is a good example too. That <laughs> so many of them we never they never even talk, but they just they they add this weird facial color to the shots just by standing around like uh, the the one guy with the tweed jacket and the glasses and the mustache uh eating chips by himself in the corner <laughs> sort of thing and um or um and, would... and they they have to do it in such weird circumstances too uh Ted and Annette Fleming absolutely fascinate me because if you think about it, when they come through the door, they come through the door completely unnatural because they have to get in, ditch their coats, say hi, and get the hell out of the way in a very short period of time. Yeah. When you meet somebody at the door, it's a one-minute affair. No, they, they had like seven and, seconds. Yeah, slide to the side, basically. They yeah. are halfway out of their jackets <laughs> as they're coming through the door. Like, it is just... Well, and that's, that's, I I think like Ted and Annette Fleming are a good example, but then what sort of set me on this path was, um, uh, uh, Timothy Carhart, uh, you know, his one line, uh, as he's talking to Sigourney Weaver as they're exiting the orchestra, but then that one cutaway, who's the stiff and they show him putting the nasal spray <laughs> up his nose <laughs> And, you know, this is, this is the guy, he's played a villain in so many movies and he's a huge, like at the, at the time, yeah, this was probably one of his first roles, I think. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, he had to sell that so sincerely that had to be so real. And so, yep. Because the, the absurdity of everything around him had to play off of that. Like if, if he was going for gold and shoving that thing up his nose and making a big, like Jerry, uh, Lewis, uh, like caricature of himself, it would have been a totally different scene. But the fact that he is a stiff and he shoots the stuff up his nostrils, that's, that's what sells it. Or, uh, Dean Yeager. That's, you know, the other one, uh, sadly that I wish I knew his, his real name in real life. But, um, you know, he's, he's a real Dean. He goes in there. Everybody's a joke to him. You know, your, your methods are sloppy. Your conclusions are poor. like that's what a real <laughs> dean would be saying to these people that are just mooching, you know. As much as I love uh, that scene in the new Answer the Call movie with the uh, 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 shoot head writer of SNL, uh, God, I'm terrible with names. I have severe dad brain, guys. I'm sorry, but his his whole flipping of the bird and his whole oh. science with a Y and like. 
he should be the sincere one. He should be the one like, I honestly had no idea that you had a department here. Get the hell out. Like, wh- why are you even here asking me for more money? I, kn- I didn't even think I was giving you money in the first place. Like that, that should not have been an opportunity for a comedian to shine. That should have been an opportunity for a, a, a good character actor to just get in there and be the Dean, just be the Dean of the school, yeah. you know? Uh, so, well, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Who did play the the dean of Wiggs, uh, uh, school? Uh, Charles Dance. Charles but, Dance. Again, yes. fine character actor. That perfect. That that's exactly. He's one what of I he's one of he's one of the few character actors. I guess Andy Garcia. He's he's a, he. I don't think he's done outright comedy, but he he can kind of get close, and he kind of yeah. flexes it. But he plays it pretty straight too, to a degree. He plays it straight, but at the same time, he's not, uh, you know, the the whole, like, he has the conversations with Cecily Tyson. Yeah. Or Cecily Tyson. Cecily Strong. Cecily Tyson Cicely is Strong, the actor yeah. from Roots. Uh, <laughs> totally, totally different. Cecily Strong. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's even, he's going for the joke. Like, the two of them are going for banter and, uh, yeah. you know, it's, and, and a good character actor in that, that spot. Because you see that, you see that, and you know that's Andy Garcia. You see her, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's, that's Cicely Strong. Um, I would know. put a I would put a subsection on your point here too, and um, you know, underappreciated round of applause to whoever was doing the the extras casting. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, particularly in the crowd scene, that crowd scene outside uh, Dana's apartment. Holy cow! Rabbis, priests, <laughs> punks. Uh, little kids uh, in winter jackets waving t-shirts Ghostbusters all all right exactly all the way down to him like I don't I I know he's talked about how he got picked and all that but again he just um, and and he's the most overt example but if you think of the 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 Victorian lady or the gray lady or whatever they call her who shows up as an extra throughout the library and a lot of other things she's got the She's got the gray uh, suit dress on and the high, the high frill collar and all that. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and again, used <laughs> reading in the library, and then mysteriously, her and everybody who's sitting in the library reading are now standing on the stairs chatting as the Ghostbusters come <laughs> busting through the doors. Like it's a weird, like they perfectly fit the Ghostbusters of that time. Sure. Yeah. And I'd go even further don't tend to clash as time goes on. Like I've, we've talked about this before that Ghostbusters holds up pretty well in terms of era. Do you know? Do you yeah. I mean, uh, outside of hairstyles uh, and uh, yeah. Disco Inferno playing at a party, even, even still, there's people that play Disco Inferno at parties. Disco, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, a little bit of the Dana's apartment and all that. Uh, kind of not quite, but I, I, I don't know. Anyways, Point being that, yeah, I'm with you. They all these character actors, uh, they all end up with with lines that we walk away with. Even the doorman at Dana's apartment has that one: "A bear in his apartment." <laughs> it's like, again, this classic. It's like stepping into somebody who's just telling oh, the punchline of a joke. Yes, and he he nails it. His only line is. A bear in his apartment. And so earnestly, he's not he's not pausing for the laugh, and he's not no. trying to deliver it as a punchline. Like it's just it's so sincere and uh, or uh, oh, like possibly the best of all. Now that I think about it, 
Little old lady. Okay, we see action. You step out into the hall, <laughs> pretend you see a monster, exclaim, and go back into your apartment. And that turned into, huh. yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, that lady gets me every single time. I have seen Ghostbusters 500 times. And every single time that lady gets me, I just, she doesn't even have dialogue. No, she has an exclamation, and she made it. It's it's yeah, it's it's one for the eight. <laughs> and it's that that's the little nuanced stuff that just works so well, man. Like, and, um, and that's that's because of your day player actors. That's because of yeah. your, your hardworking blue collar. You know, bringing the lunchbox to set, uh, just to get the job done. We gotta we gotta sit down again with Reitman. Like I asked him a few questions with the short time we had, but I got more. Like I need to ask, um, what's up with the uh, the steel drummers? Right? Oh yeah. Obviously, yeah. that's a New York thing. Why did you decide to put it in there? Were they there? Did you cast? Like, did you hire guys to do it? Like, <laughs> and it's perfect. Like, it takes a nighttime at Columbus Circle, which should be kind of dead and quiet. And kind of makes it feel just about as alive and dynamic yeah. as, you know, the daylight scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the like you were talking about with the novelization last week, like the the horseback cops, uh, you know, something like that just to, to ground you for somebody who doesn't know Central Park. Like, yeah, you know, those those little touches. But uh, so, yeah, so that's the, I think that attention to detail from those character actors, that's uh that's what I got. But That's I also, I mean, there's so many others too. Cause I, I sort of rapid fired them at the beginning, but the costume design and the production design and, yeah. uh, you know, there are so many things that I think sort of tie into, you know, when you said that the firehouse is iconic and everybody recognizes any firehouse that has a very similar facade to the point where I know people that go around Manhattan and they take photos in front of the wrong firehouse in New yeah. York city, because it's, <laughs> it's just iconic. You, you see that building that's sort of in that same red bricks, uh, shape with the same garage bay. And, uh, yeah. you, you can easily make that mistake, but, um, I mean, listeners, if you can think of another building that stands out, I, I, I'm interested just to hear other examples. I don't think any of them trump, uh, the Ghostbusters, uh, fire hall. No, I mean, uh, maybe 55 Central Park West, because I did see, and what also inspired oh, this, there was an article in Oakland that this place I called the Ghostbusters this. Building. I read it because I was like, what? Because it, yeah, it was like, was like goes for 725000 I was like, well, that's a big price drop from the $3.5 million five-year. Oh, no, yeah. it's an entirely different oh, place. <laughs> that's not in New York City. Uh, but but it, because it's that same art deco with the exterior that sort of yeah. has the same look as 55 Central Park West, I guess people- Over, in, Overlooking a park, no yeah. less. <laughs> and and everybody calls it the Ghostbusters the building. The Ghostbusters building. Uh, yeah. So so you know things that are iconic enough that you can call it the like in Denver, Colorado, we had what we called the the Darth Vader <laughs> building, where it was the the facade of the building looked like Darth Vader's face mask. You know, it's oh. something that looks so. Oh, that's not the Darth Vader or, building. Or, that's the the Legion of Doom headquarters. <laughs> well, <Wait>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it it. It might be at this point. It used to be a hotel, and now I have no idea what it is. So it, it may very well be the Legion of Doom headquarters. But um, yeah, I mean, just uh, iconic production design. Uh, John DeCure, who, I mean, we cannot say that John DeCure is underrated because this is the production designer who did Cleopatra and, yeah. and countless huge epics that 
you know, this, this guy, he won his Oscars and he, he got his praises. So we can't call him underappreciated. But I think when you think about something like Ghostbusters, you can easily overlook the production design of a movie like that. You can easily, it's not a completely bizarre world like uh, star Wars or star Trek or something that you have to make up from scratch, but he did, he made it look something, you know, something like a firehouse. He made that look unique and iconic and we all want the green brick, even though that's exactly what was in there. But yeah, uh, he, he realized that he made that distinction. uh, one of the last great examples of matte painting effects, comp- yes. compositing effects. Cause, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Computer stuff took over like about five years later, like matte stuff was not, it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't the same thing as it was when somebody had to paint on glass, like the yeah. Ghostbusters, very short order of time. It went away. Um, um so uh, I was, I was going to say, actually speaking of costume designer, did you notice, uh, Ghostbusters, 30 years ahead of its time. Did you catch the news item today? No, no. What what happened? Uh, it's a trend. I don't know how much of a trend it is, but obviously it's one of those fashion trends, as in yeah. uh, a fashion designer makes it and it causes a splash, so they call it a thing. But it's uh, nude wedding dresses in that it's not a dress at all. It is almost, it, it's essentially the Gozer outfit. Oh my goodness, that's... It's not bubbled, but it is the nude bodysuit with a white lacing uh, <laughs> patterned all up and around in uh, strategic strategic ways. And Craig, that's, and, Abigail, and, I told you, you should have done the Gozer <laughs> wedding dress. Anyway. And it, it's exactly like you and I have been talking about. It is so iconic, the design of Gozer from the movie. That's what everybody pointed out immediately. It's exactly, <laughs> it's very much like the Gozer outfit. Looks like Gozer. Yeah, it's oh, um, man. I didn't see that, but I, I, I would imagine. I, I thought you were going to say with all of the hipster clothing. That's uh, oh god, no, no. Uh, that's <laughs> oh, a little different. Okay, but, well, I got to get to Photoshop now because now all I want to do is uh, Photoshop uh, uh, a beard and uh, forearm tattoos and uh, horn rim glasses onto Venkman because those <laughs> those those suits they wear as professors that's hipster <laughs> hipster gear. Oh, that's hipster gear and his uh, you know his LL Bean professor's jacket right. uh, exactly. in orange <laughs> over top of his uh, jumpsuit. Uh, uh, roll up roll up the uh, cuffs of his pants there. Yeah, um, yeah, that's <laughs> I, setting a trend for Brooklyn in modern day. Uh, that's that's Ghostbusters. But uh, wow. actually, so, uh, sorry, and then and, and just to further the point. Um, uh, recently, I had cause. I won't get into it. It was it was boring cause. I was I was. I was aping a, a a meme and I did a, a Ghostbusters version of it. But in order to do that, I went looking at his, uh, his shirt, um, uh, that he wore under a knitted vest, no less. Uh, and it is a weird. Like his collared shirt that. Yeah. Collage yeah. of plaid, like, and not standard Scott's plaid, <laughs> but purples and pinks and blues and all this sort of thing and it very very odd colors and i'm looking at it and i'm like oh my god i think you can buy those shirts again oh, <laughs> like, i'm sure it's all coming back around uh <laughs> i mean i've, I've got uh, one of my william murray uh, polyester shirts that's the the murray tartan uh plaid but yeah. uh but it it looks like something from the 70s i put it on and i'm like i could probably have worn this in like 77 78 but 
Um, all right. So, so real quick, I had, uh, in my notes here when I was jotting him down, uh, this, this is the last sort of point of discussion in terms of underappreciated. I had written theme song question mark. Uh, so yes, it goes without saying Ray Parker Jr.'s theme song, especially around Halloween is a staple. It is 100% synonymous with Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Uh, always elicits the same response. Um, so, so, and also a platinum hit, uh, made lots of money. Ray Parker Jr. bought his third or fourth house, uh, based upon Ghostbusters. Uh, but I think why I wrote that was in terms of being underappreciated, I wonder if it's underappreciated in this day and age sitting here in 2018, how many theme songs have there been in the last two, three years at least that are catchy and get radio play. I mean, uh, I, I can name theme songs like the Stranger Things theme song, and I, I can hum a few bars for you, but not necessarily getting radio play. Uh, the theme song seems to have gone the way of the dodo. And, and now I'm almost wondering if we could call the theme song to Ghostbusters underappreciated because modern audiences are not used to theme songs. Yeah. TV shows don't have theme songs anymore for the most part. Yeah. I think there is something to be said for that. Like the eighties definitely all had their made specifically for the movie theme song that, uh, always got radio play and was hugely popular. So, uh, you know, Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd dragnet. Yeah. City of Crime. One of my favorites. City of Crime out there. Um, Kenny Loggins for uh, Caddyshack. Oh, Kenny Loggins right. on like that 500 was, movies. Oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. that was they, his oh, bread and butter for a while. Um, but yeah, these days you either have uh, stuff written for the movie, but it's only borderline for the movie. It's more like somebody has a hit and that's where they apply it rather than, uh, you know, so like Fast and the Furious, how many... Uh, how many top 40 tracks did that spawn? But they yeah. weren't, they were just, they just sounded good as part of the Fast and the Furious. It's know, sort of music a cultivated video, soundtrack. Sort of, yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily a theme mm. song that was written specifically for, you know, again, Men in Black, going back to Men in Black. That's actually one of the last <clears throat> movies I can think of that had yeah. a, a, a theme song where the lead singer mentions the name of the movie in the song. Men in Black, uh, also, Will Smith, Wild West. Yeah, Wild Wild West. Uh, um, and, but it was like that was the dying gasp of the theme song. Really? Yeah. Like, where Where have there? Let's see. I can't, I can't think of anything recently. No. Racking my brains, but I can't really. So that's that. I mean, to a certain point, like in the '80s, obviously the theme song was super appreciated to the point where it was on the the real Ghostbusters cartoon and yeah. you would go to the Hallmark store and you'd buy that cassette tape that had the Ghostbusters theme song on it, uh, being performed by the, who knows what session musicians, oh, uh, the hit house players or whatever they were. Uh, Thomas but, Dolby's, uh, real, no, not Thomas Dolby. Oingo Boingo's, uh, real science. Oh yeah. Yeah. Weird for, science. For weird yeah. science. Was uh, it weird science or real science? Weird, weird science. science. You're thinking real genius probably. Thank you. I yeah. am conflating. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Speaking, oh boy, it's getting late, <sighs> and your batteries are dying. 
maybe mm-hmm. literally and figuratively and but, figuratively uh so so yeah so i mean we are we're at we're at the hour mark i feel like we could keep talking about underrated things because we do love ghostbusters with a passion obviously we've done almost 200 well, episodes it. of a podcast so let's I mean, come we're back heading to it. i think we're heading to 2018 we're going to see more and more ghostbusters they're not always going to be but we saw this last year too. There were lean weeks. Save it. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll, we'll talk, talk about more this about stuff it. And, and I'd love to include you guys. So uh, underappreciated things about Ghostbusters: the the phenomenon, the the uh, entire franchise as a whole. Uh, what do you feel is underappreciated? Uh, hit us. Hit up the voicemail so that we can do another follow up episode. We'll involve you guys, and then uh, we'll we'll keep going Don't with what we've got. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, go, go stoppers. stoppers! I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. And Twitter accounts. Friends is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for... The Ghostbusters! Interdimensional Crossrip. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. All right, so there it was, the structure, the most structured episode in CrossRip history. Yeah, we did okay. I had fun. I, again, I always have so much fun on these where we don't have a script, yeah. and maybe it's because I'm not worried about hitting timings and checking off things like, oh, did I mention that? Did we talk about that? Maybe it's just a lot easier. It's a little more casual, but... Uh, Casual's good. But the one thing that we always do, the one thing that is always structured, the one thing that is always reliable... Chris's final thoughts at the end of the episode. <laughs> Always reliable. Um, what do you got? I, I, the only real final thought I have is, and this this came up when we were talking about the uh, uh, the Ramus book coming out. Is I guess this might be it for a Ramus biography. I don't. I, I mean, there was there was kind of some video ones around the time he passed that went up and stuff like that. But I kind of, and oh, and there's, you know, he's fairly well documented in certain areas of his life, like second city wise. It's kind of documents at least his work stuff fairly well. Sure, but, yeah, yeah. But we, we don't really have, you know, anybody that's died. We don't have the book that will be in chapter eight. We'll cover making groundhog days and his good days and his bad days and what happened with Murray and all that. You know what I mean? Like, so I think this book will kind of, you know, I, I don't think, you know, uh, celebrity biographies are over and done with. I'm just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he wasn't enough of a, of a public name or something to that somebody immediately jumped on and went, you know what we should write? Yeah, I guess uh, that's true that he's not, people would recognize him if they saw a photo of him, but they wouldn't necessarily pick up a, but, but, but by the same token, I would love to write that book. That would be such yeah. a fascinating book to talk about and him coming up through second city. Frankly, I mean, people, people that are way less well known than him get biographies and all that. Like, so where's the, I guess that's my final thought. Where's the, Where's the uh, the Harold Ramis biography? <sighs> Say no more. I want to do it now. 
what, yeah. what have you done? You've, I, I'm like, I've cleared my slate. I don't want to work on any other side projects. <laughs> God, no, I, I really want to do that. Oh, well, I think right. it'd be worth it. Um, and I think it can be built from a lot of stuff too. Like, uh, the speech he gave on the comedy movies that influenced sure. him. Oh, sure. Um, there's probably quite a bit of interview stuff around SCTV. A yeah. number of people uh, that you could talk to, Dave Thomas and... Um, Catherine O'Hara, uh, people Catherine that knew him. That, yeah, yeah that would, absolutely. would definitely love to talk about it uh, with them. Uh, I noticed, going back to uh, Raymond Steele's book, is uh, the foreword is by Seth Rogen. Oh, I get the impression yeah. that Seth Rogen, uh, even though Ramus kind of got largely cut out of uh, Knocked Up, the two of them really kind of bonded really close. So, Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think year one, wasn't Seth supposed to be a big role in at one point? Yeah. Uh, so, but And again, yeah, like as you, Stupins, Gene Stupinski and them... Uh, that's a there's a lot of of young comedy writers and all that that it seems like he kind of mentored and sure. all that so well and you've got the harold ramus film school now the the school of comedy well, that's opened up out in second city there that, you go how you know, does somebody get a school named after him and nobody and not given the movies he wrote and or worked in or you know what i mean like how did nobody go gee Let's tell his story. Like, that should be a no-brainer, to be honest. Uh, gee, let's tell his story. I want to do this now. Oh, my God. Right. I like this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. <laughs> let's do I it. Just, I just said stuff. <laughs> I, I got no time. You write it. I'll read it. All right. Sold. I'll proofread it. I'll proofread it. I'll, I'll let you proofread it. Yes. <laughs> I'll send it to you and be like, Chris, uh, I'm lost again. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, uh, good final thought. Also, I need to jot that down because I want want to do that now. There you go. All right. uh, Zony, are you listening? Come on, guys. Are you listening, Zony? (laughs) No, they're they're not. (laughs) Actually, more like (laughs) Sony has nothing to do. Simon and Schuster, are you listening? Uh, Both both Simon and Schuster and uh, Sony got as far as Black Velvet, and they're like, click. <laughs> black velvet. Yeah, I said we said black velvet. I sang in a little boy's smile, and they said, "What podcast is this again?" Yeah. Oh boy, we can't be associated with this. Delete it. Delete it. Get it out of our cache. We can't have this. Ah. Well, uh, until next week, we'll come up with some more uh, '90s standards to uh, get stuck in you guys' head for another week. Uh, and uh, yeah, please hit up the voicemail. Let us know uh, underappreciated aspects of Ghostbusters because we'll continue this conversation probably indefinitely. That'll be something we can just keep going on uh, because there is so much. There literally is so much for us to talk about. So until next week where we keep talking about the literally infinite amount of things that can be discussed. See you on the other side. Who you gonna call? We Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. Hey, this could be one of my two favorite shows. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, great. What was the other one? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show. Everything you're doing is bad. You truly scare me. I want you to love it. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird. Let's give them something to talk about. Do, 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 do. 
I don't know any more of the words to that song. No, neither do I. Except but she was... for the love, love, love. I don't know, that's all I got. <laughs>